Father, we thank you for this morning. God, and we just praise your name. God, what a beautiful name it is. Father, we thank you for what you did. We thank you for the cross. Father, we thank you that you came and were born in a manger for us, God. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise your name, God. Amen. Good singing there. Thank you. Glad you guys are here today. If you're joining us at home, we're glad you're there. If you have troubles with it, uh, sorry. Don't know how to fix it for you. Working on it. And uh, if you'll uh, record it, I mean, if you'll go on later after it's recorded, I hear it's a little better then. You can watch it anytime this week. And if that doesn't work for you, call me and we'll, I'll come over and I'll, I'll share it with you. We're going to do a little two-part series on Micah. Today we're going to talk about we absolutely have to have Christmas. And next week we're going to talk about, from the book of Micah, uh, what does God want from us for Christmas? So today, we absolutely must have Christmas. You probably have seen a couple headlines in the news this past week where this politician, that politician says that Christmas is canceled. And uh, people are saying, you can't cancel Christmas, da 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 Well, the truth of the matter is, it's not, only, it's not a matter of you can't cancel Christmas, it's a matter of you really can't cancel Christmas. Now, you might be able to change what you do on Christmas and all those things, but Christmas is done, done. It's already happened. It's in place. It's just not for Christmas. It's for 365 days a year, and we absolutely must have Christmas. We're going to have Christmas. We're going to have Christmas. We're going to have our Christmas Eve service this year in 2020 on Christmas Eve. Imagine that. I, one of my favorite... Amen. Hey. I'll never forget when uh, Dub Bearden would always ask me, he'd say, Pastor, he said, what, what day is Christmas Eve service on? And I would say, Christmas Eve. He goes, oh, you get me every year. He meant, I mean, what day of the week? Well, it's Christmas Eve. It's the 24th every single year. But uh, we're going to have Christmas Eve, so you come at 6.30. We'll have a good time on the Christmas Eve. So Micah, we absolutely must have Christmas. What kind of guy was Micah? Micah is called one of the minor prophets, but not really because he was minor, because he really wasn't minor at all. It's just the length of the book. He's not like Isaiah, although there is a little bit of evidence that says that Isaiah and Micah might have been walking around people. They might have spent some time together. We're not quite sure, but some of the scholars believe that there's some similarities in their their message. Of course, it, they were lived during the same time. They both prophesied uh, to the people that judgment was coming, that judgment was coming, that uh, because of, of, we'll find out why judgment's coming, but the Assyrians are going to uh, be used by the hand of God to bring about judgment on them. And it's also interesting that both Isaiah and Micah have some scripture that we will look at from Micah's point of view today that looks towards the incarnation or the coming of Christ or the coming of the Messiah. God enters the world and we understand that to be God became a man, which is our Christmas. So what kind of guy is Micah? Let's real quickly kind of get a, a mindset of him a little bit here. Micah 1.8 says, Therefore... And we will find out here in just a moment why he's saying this. I will mourn and lament. I mean, he is grieving over the situation that the people of Israel, uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, find themselves in. 
He said, I will walk around barefoot and naked. What he says. So he's really disturbed with what's going on. Now, you can discuss all you want to about what it means to be barefoot and naked. Is this just saying him like a little saying that he's using to say that he's going to be really vulnerable? That could be. But it says, I will walk around barefoot and naked. Vulnerable or barefoot and naked. Either way you look at that, he is really moved by their situation. He is serious about their situation. He has an urgency about it. And, and he's going to do all he can to be a spokesman for God to hopefully bring about a, a, so, some change in the lives of, of the uh, Sumerians and the uh, people that live in Jerusalem, the Judeans and the um, Israelis. He said, I will howl like a jackal. I will howl like a jackal. So you think about a jackal out there, you think about a wolf, you think about a coyote. Man, in the, in the middle of the night, you can hear him, can't you? There's some howling going on. The king of the wilderness at night. And he says, and moan like an owl. So he's going to be hooting and hollering about the situation that is taking place in both Samaria and Jerusalem. He says in verse 9, for my people's wound is too deep to heal. It has reached into Judah, even to the gates of Jerusalem. Verse 9 lets us know that he's not like Jonah, that he's preaching against the people and he's glad for it. Now it's one thing for the prophet to come and preach at the city gate and preach that judgment is coming. There's a difference between feeling grief over that and being glad about the judgment that's coming. Man, Micah, he felt, he hurt, he had pain. There was great turmoil in him. He said, I'm going to be naked and barefoot. I'm going to howl like the wolves. I am going to moan like the, the owls do. I, I'm grieving over this. For my people's wound is too deep to heal. They've done gone too far. I've done spoke with the Lord, Micah is saying to us, and the sin has gone too far. God has turned them away. God is letting them do their own thing, much like we see in the gospel or in the in the book of Romans. Excuse me, we see Paul referring to that God just gives people over to their own way if they repent, if they I mean reject repentance, if they refuse to acknowledge that God's word has come, that He just turns them over. It's one of those situations in Micah's day. They and he hurts over it. We also see in chapter 3 a little bit more about Micah to find out what kind of prophet he was. He says in verse 8, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. And he says, man, I'm filled with God's Spirit. I'm filled with power. And we're going to see here in just a moment that he's not like the other prophets that aren't willing to speak up to the pending judgment that's about to come. So those words, those verses just simply, I think, tell us that Micah is sincere, Micah is vulnerable, Micah is devoted, and there's an urgency in Micah to, to, to warn the people about the judgment that is to come. And he's willing 
to warn people about the judgment. He's just not saying everything's fine, everything's good, just do your own thing, live it up, you know, whatever you want to do, it's all good. No, he's, he's laying down the truth. So, first of all, Micah brings the word from the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Micah of Morseth during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Attention. Let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. Now, he wants the people in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judah, and Israel to listen, to pay attention. And look what he says in verse 3. Look, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. From our perspective, we look back and we see that Christ became a man and in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And John 1.14 tells us that that Word, we beheld His glory. From, from our perspective, we look back to this coming of Christ. From these folks' perspective, they look forward to the coming of the Messiah, to the incarnation that God becomes a man. Now, Old Testament people were saved in exactly the same way as New Testament people. Our understanding is more clear about what the atonement was going to look like. The shedding of the blood on the cross, the giving of his life willingly to die on the cross for our sins, he was laid in the tomb, and three days he was resurrected from the tomb. Looking back, that's our understanding. But if you're, if you're living in Jerusalem in Micah's day, you're looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Both Old Testament and New Testament people were saved by faith. We are saved believing in what God has provided for us in His plan of salvation. We are believing in the shed blood of Christ. The Old Testament guy, it says in Romans 4, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. And so in the Old Testament, their salvation is based on faith, believing God's way of salvation. When they would go do the things that God said for them to do, they were to do so in faith, just like we do in faith. And so there was a problem in the land they had quit believing God. They were no longer repenting of their sin. They had fallen into a dull, boring, untruthful religion. And there was no per, uh, pricking of the heart. There was no movement of the Spirit in the people. There was no devotion to the things of God. There was no devotion to the temple. There was no devotion to the Word of God. And, and they had gone their own way, just like today. 
When people reject the message of Christ, when they reject the good news that God became a man and, and, and they walk away, they choose not to believe in him, they choose not to repent of him, the same situation that the people found themselves in during this time, they find themselves in during our time. No difference. Unrepentive sin. And he says, look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the heights of the earth. Now, Micah 1.3 is never ever used in the Christmas story. It's never ever used in any of our devotional books around Christmas. But look at Micah 1.3. Look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and flow into the valleys like wax in a fire like water pouring down a hill. Now this is saying to me that when he comes, things are going to be very, very different. There's going to be a power. There's going to be an energy that's going to be experienced through him. And then verse 5, it, he begins the process of explaining why we can't cancel Christmas and why we shouldn't cancel Christmas and honestly why you can't cancel Christmas. Verse 5. And why is this happening? Why is God coming? Why is the, the, uh, the mountains going to melt beneath His feet? He says, because of the rebellion of Israel. Yes, the sins of the whole nation. Jesus had to come because of the sin of people. When we celebrate Christmas, do you realize that the heart of Christmas is, is that we were lost in our sin and we were without hope. There were no possibilities. The, the, we weren't going to make ourselves right through our own actions. And, and, and we weren't able to keep the law. We're not going to keep the law. You can never be good enough. And it was the act of grace. Christmas is an act of kindness. It's an act of love. It's God grieving over us and giving us Himself through Christ. And it happened because of our sin. It happened because of their sin. It says, and why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel, yes, the sins of the whole nation. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, its capital. So, sin is everywhere. Sin has just like that piece of leaven, it has, it has spread through the whole loaf. And there's not one pocket of society, there's not one institution, there's, there's not one group of people, there's not one individual in the nation of Israel this time that Micah says is righteous. They're not hearing the word from the Lord. They don't care about the word from the Lord. They don't believe that judgment is coming. They can live as though God doesn't exist. And he's trying to warn them. He says, I'm going to be vulnerable, barefoot and naked. Maybe he was naked out there running around preaching. That would, that would draw a crowd, wouldn't it? You know, if I show up next week and... Might not draw a crowd. But I mean, boy, this is burning in his heart, isn't it? I mean, he, he's all over this. This is, this is an amazing thing. Now, very quickly... Look at the sins that Micah points out. Rebellion, verse 5. 
We've already said it, but idolatry, verse 7. All her carved images will be smashed. All her sacred treasures will be burned. These things were bought with the money earned by her prostitution, and they will now be carried away to pay prostitutes everywhere. And so you've got rebellion, you've got their sins, and, and you've got idolatry. And not only do you have idolatry, but you've got something that, that obviously bothers uh, uh, Micah because the message, he repeats it two or three times in different ways, is you've got false, milquetoast, greedy, coward prophets in the land that will only preach for money and they will not preach the truth about judgment. They only say what people want to hear. They only preach what, what people want to hear. And they're not willing to preach a message that's directly from God. And, and Micah already says, I'm not like that. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm full of the power of God. I'm going to speak the truth, right? But look in 2.11. 2.11 says, Suppose a prophet full of lies would say to you, I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. That's just the kind of prophet you would like. So I'm only going to preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol and not talk to you about that you don't need to drink too much because there's another side to the joys of wine and alcohol. There's a dark side. There's a bad side. They were just covering one part of it. Wine for worship. Wine for celebration, wine for the marriage feast, wine for joy, wine for a healing, wine for some great time of worship and celebration, a wine to celebrate the vineyard and the fruit that comes from the, from the vineyard. But, but he, they, the prophets never would talk about the other side of it. In other words, only saying the good stuff. Only saying what everybody loves hearing. Y'all are good. Y'all are all right. We good. Do whatever you want to do. Drink as much as you want to. You know, party as much as you want to. Oh, man, you, you want to have relations before you get married? If you love each other, it's all right. I mean to tell you, you can be your very best self. Just do whatever you want to do. Abortion, no big deal. It, you know, just don't worry about that kind of stuff. You know, it, they may say it's murder. They may say the Bible says that it's murder, but don't, don't worry about any of that mess. Getting right with God because you've sinned? Don't, don't, no, 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 no. There's no such thing as sin. I mean, the first psychology class kids get in freshman 101 is, if they take a psychology class is, there's no such thing as sin. What they hear is, people are like they are by their environment. But there's no problem with a person's heart. Well, that's not true. That's not biblical. And that sure ain't my experience. Look in 3, 5 through 8 here. Look what he says about these prophets. This is what the Lord says. You false prophets are leading my people astray you promise peace for those who give you food, but you declare war on those who refuse to feed you. So here's the way it's going to be. I, I'm going to ask you after church, I'm going to stand back there when you walk out, you're going to tell me how much you've given to the budget this, this year. And if I don't think it's enough, I'm going to declare judgment on you. But if I think it's enough, 
I'm going to slap you on the back and say the blessings are with you. I'll be in the very back. Y'all form a single line and we'll go on through. Now, you know I'm not going to do that, right? I don't know what anybody gives. It's a good thing for me because I might judge, might be critical. But that's what they were doing. So who was influencing the prophets? God or money? Money. Money was influenced the prophets. Now, the night will close around you, cutting off your visions. Darkness will cover you, putting an end to your predictions. The sun will set you, prophets, and your day will come to an end. Boy, that's a stern, stern word from the Lord on the prophets. And look what it says in, in Micah 3.11. It says, you rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. Ooh. So you're not going to preach for free? That's the question, isn't it? Preach for free. They were only preaching if they were paid. Now, imagine that. Only preaching a word from the Lord if they were paid. Whatever God had to say must not have been that important to them. There was no need to warn. And so Micah is calling out these prophets and saying it's a reason why we must have Christmas. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, listen to this. So... We've got rebellion, we've got sin. We, we've got uh, these false prophets in the land. And, and now we find, uh, excuse me, in chapter 2, we've got business people taking advantage of people. Look in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night, thinking up plans, you rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out, simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man out of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. So these business people would be in bed at night, coming up with ways to trick people out of their money, fleece people out of the money, uh, to, to, to mistreat people and cheat them out of their money. And he's calling those money makers out for taking advantage of people. So you've got the business leaders who, who are guilty. You've got the prophets who are guilty. You've got the people in the nation of Israel who are guilty. And now look in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Yep, you've got the leadership. You've got the politicians. You've got the politicians. I said, listen, you leaders of Israel. So he's speaking to the leadership, the politicians. You are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. Hmm. Hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. So Micah is describing a situation where the people who are in leadership in their country 
believe that the people they lead are there for their pleasure and the leaders are not there to serve them. Does that sound familiar? Does that look familiar to you today? Isn't that something? That was in Micah's day. That was 700 years ago. No, excuse me, 700 years before Christ came. It's been going on a long, long time. You are the very ones who hate good and, and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh and you strip off their skin and break their bones. You chop them up like meat for the cooking pot. And then we see there in verse 4, Then you beg for the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect Him to answer? Do our politicians who are mistreating their people really expect God to hear their prayer when a tragedy happens? Isn't that amazing? You know, you got all this corruption. you got all this mistreatment of people. you got all this crazy stuff going on out there. In, in our country and if, if there's a shooting today if there's something that happens if, if there's some kind of real great need they're going to have a prayer service do you really think God hears your prayer if they ever ask me to preach at the senate or the house of representatives or the president's house or at the, the, the American National Cathedral Guess what verse I'm going to use? Do y'all really believe God is going to hear your prayer after all the decisions you made this week? Wow. He says, do you really expect Him to answer? After all the evil you have done, He won't even look at you. Why? Because they're not coming with a repentant heart. They're not coming humility. They have not humbled themselves. They have not turned from their pride. They have not repented of their sin. Now, Micah says, because of this situation, God is coming. Because of this situation, you got to have Christmas. Because man left to himself is going to ruin things. Man left to himself is going to make matters worse. Man to himself cannot be right with God. We must have Him come. And He came in Jesus. Now this week is, is, is if you've been keeping up with the news and everything that's going on, a couple lessons that I've gained this week. One unique lesson this week. Uh, yesterday or the day before, we got a little picture from our granddaughter in Hawaii. And she was so excited. She was bubbly. She had saw a, a uh, personality. She had saw a superstar. And, and she takes a picture of Barack Obama playing golf on their golf course in Hawaii. Now, she was really happy about it. And we saw that she said she cried because she was so happy that she saw the president, right, playing golf. You know what I saw? Grandparents can't go see their grandkids on that base but he can go play golf with his friends without a mask. Now, you ain't heard about the Barack Obama one. I'm the only one privy to it. 
Mila might be on CNN tonight. But man, hadn't it been going on? The mayor of Austin flies to Cabo and sends back a video, y'all stay home. How does God feel about that? I'll tell you how God feels about that. In the book of Proverbs, not once, not twice, more than eight times in the book of Proverbs, God says, I hate dishonest scales. And when we have leaders, and, and, and Obama was a Democrat, you know, and, and, and I probably pick it on Democrats right now because I see more of that going on, but the Republicans are really no different in some ways. Maybe not as aggressive, I guess. I don't know all those things going on. But there's no question that if, listen to me now, if, if God was about to judge Israel because of their false prophets, their shady business people, their, their vultures who are politicians, we are absolutely fooling ourselves if we don't believe that we're ripe for judgment in our country. And unrepented sin is a problem. It was a problem in Micah's day, and it's a problem in our day. Now, we're, you say, well, Lee, you're preaching to us, but it begins in the Lord's people first. This is where it needs to begin. Repentance, trust, celebrating Christmas with all of our heart. Now, turn to Micah chapter 5. Look what God is going to do for us. He says in verse 1, which is really kind of an interesting verse, Mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. Now, the best they can do is get themselves ready to do their very best to whip the Assyrians. That's their only choice. Guess what? They can't whip the Assyrians. In that day and time, they couldn't whip them. Today, they could probably whip them. But then, they couldn't whip them. And so the very best thing you can do is get yourself on the walls of Jerusalem with every arrow you can get, with every spear you can get, get every family member, every kid that can carry an arrow needs to get on that wall. And we're going to do the very best we can. It says, They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. Now it's interesting, isn't it, how Jesus was treated and how he was whipped, cat of nine tails, how he was spit on, how he put the crown of thorns in his head. Maybe an application there. But then Micah shares the result, something for them to look from verse 1-3, now to 5-2. But, there's a but in there. Man, I love it. But God has demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, but God. Sin separates us from God. Sin will be judged. No one will not be judged for unrepentant sin. But God demonstrates how much He loves in this that Christ died for us while we were sinners. And so God's grace is always judgment is deserved. Judgment will, all sin will be judged. But 
if you will believe in Christ, if you will believe in God's gift of salvation, if you will celebrate Him, if you will live for Him, you will experience this protection from that judgment. But, but, but God, but you, says, O Bethlehem, Epaphratha. Now, Bethlehem are only a small village among all the people of Judea. Today, Bethlehem's a pretty sprawling little place. But back then, it wasn't nothing. I mean, we know about Bethlehem from then. There was no room at the end. They didn't have a sprawling holiday expresses everywhere. There was no Marriott's to check into, no room for him in the end. All they had, we, we, we like the wooden manger. See, that, that we always want the... Because we see wood, and we build with wood... But it wasn't even a wooden manger that he was in. It was a cave. That's what they had there. They would, they would use those caves. We talked about that with the sheep lessons. And so the only place for poor Mary to go was a cave there in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was off the beaten path. The only reason they're there is because the Romans wanted a census <laughs> for no good but they wanted a census. And so Mary and Joseph have to go and do their census there in Bethlehem, the place where they would be, which is prophetic. But you, O Bethlehem. Now, if man would have wrote this, he would have said Nazareth is where he came from because more information about Jesus and Nazareth. And, and this is, without the Scripture, this wouldn't, we wouldn't have this. Oh, but you, O Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Isn't that interesting? Who is Jesus? The bread of life. He's our sustenance. He's our life. He's our iced tea. He's our beef jerky when we're riding our, that horse or wagon through the, uh, the West Country. You know, back 200 years ago, we, get, we need some jerky. We're not going to make it. Everything else is going to spoil. Bread was the least likely thing they had that would spoil with them. It was a source of life. An Epaphratha, from the Epaphrathites. They weren't really significant in any other way. It was a small band of people, and, and they were the ones that's probably believed to be the ones that first went to this country and settled there, and it was because of Rebecca's grave. And they're there. Interesting, Epaphratha means fruitful. But you, O Bethlehem, the house of bread, fruitful. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past. We understand that to be, he's always been. There's never been a time that he wasn't. He's always been. Will come for you on my behalf, the people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Woo! Absolutely no hope. Now, from Micah, only a few hundred years go by with any word from the Lord. But from Malachi, there is a period of 400 years where there's no word from the Lord. None. Zero. Nada. Nothing. They were overcome by the Greeks. 
they would practice in the temple and do things, and Antiochenes pours the pig's blood all over the altar. Bad times. Over and over and over, bad times. Jewish, but not Jewish spiritually. Jewish as a nation. Jewish as a culture. Jewish as a people, but not a spiritual attachment. And, and Micah said, that's the way it's going to be before the ruler comes to Bethlehem. The people of Israel will be abandoned to the enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's our shepherd. He leads with strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord, then his people will live there undisturbed and he will be highly honored around the world. Think about this prophecy here. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, in lowly Bethlehem, but the whole world is going to know about him. And they didn't know Elito, Texas existed then. Micah didn't wake up and say, I wonder what it's like out there in Alito. Alito didn't exist. I mean, the Comanches were around here and the Apaches were a little bit west. But, but I mean, the whole world, their world was quite different than our world today. And look what's going on today. Jesus is known throughout the whole world. From Bethlehem, God did that. Christmas made that happen. And it says in verse 5, and he will be the source of peace. Now, Romans 5.1. I want to finish with this scripture here. Romans 5.1. Now, that last verse, Micah 5.5 uh, 5 says that he will be our peace. Okay? He's not going to give us peace. He's going to be our peace. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. Now, peace is forgiveness of sin. Peace is the sin is thrown as far as the east is from the west. The peace is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace. Peace is knowing that God is on His throne. Peace is knowing that no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how the leaders are, no matter the amount of hypocrisy, no matter how prophets are weak and won't preach the truth, no matter how business people will take advantage of other people to pocket their own pockets, no matter how sinful things are, no matter how uh, out in the open public sin becomes because we have faith in Jesus Christ because Christmas happened and God came into this world to bring hope we can experience a peace because God is on his throne and he's more powerful than the sin that we see in this world therefore since we've been made right in God's sight by faith we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us so that's what that's the end of Micah's message by the way Micah says let me tell you something, y'all. Y'all are missing it. You ain't quite getting it. You're, you're choosing 
not to believe God's Word. You're choosing to live your own way and you don't have any peace. Matter of fact, you know how bad it is because you hear the hoofs coming. You hear the chariots coming. You've heard stories about that mighty Assyrian army that's coming and the best you can do is muster the troops together and do your best to fight them, but you know you can't win. There's no peace. And I can just see Micah just standing at the city gate, wherever people listen to him, standing on a rock somewhere saying, you must repent, return to God, return to God. Because of our sin, we are going to be judged. you got to take it seriously. Yep, I'm out here barefoot and naked for all to see. Because you got to hear this message. I'm earnest. I love you guys. I'm for you guys. I'm standing with you guys. But if we do not repent of our sin, we will be judged. We will be judged. However, if they would have believed God, trusted God, God may not have turned them over to their own way. Now, with the Scripture we'll see next week where God turned them over, God already knew they were not going to repent. So that's not God being callous. That's God being God. And that's something we need to understand. But for us, for our understanding, for our experience, this is it. If we do not repent, we will be judged. If we repent, if we return to God with all of our heart, if we will believe Him, we are made right in God's sight by faith and we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Help us, Father, to worship You with all of our heart this Christmas season because, Lord, we absolutely needed You to intervene. Lord, we can't make it on our own. We, we can't never be good enough. We recognize, Lord, that we cannot follow the things of the law. Lord, we recognize that if we're guilty of one part, we're guilty of all it, and we need you. We need you desperately. We absolutely need you as our Messiah, as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.